Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, Likewise, you should all, excuse me, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So as we've gone through this uh, little book in the Bible, four chapters, we're finishing up chapter two next week, we have moved around with a little bit of theology and a ton of instruction and application. I, I actually love both. I love theology. But here's what I've come to learn um, at this juncture in my life. Um, I used to pursue more and more theology, more and more theology, more and more theology, and then one day I woke up and I said, I'm not even using all the theology I know. Why don't I focus on actually starting to live out intentionally and intensely the, the truth that I already know about God? And it doesn't mean I don't pursue greater understanding and greater knowledge. It just means I really want to pursue greater relationship. Uh, relationship with him and then relationship within the body of Christ and I didn't hit that probably until my early 40s and now in the last couple of years probably the last four or five years um, I've just gotten to a point where it's like man I, I feel like our pursuit of theology has become like a fig leaf that we hide behind to cover up the lack of power in our lives so we've got the fig leaf that we're wearing in our pursuits of greater levels and depths of theology. And a lot of people, and I, I was one of them, are pursuing that because that's easier to obtain than it is intimacy and abiding and power in God. And so when I'm going through the book of Philippians, I kind of get both. And tonight there's going to be uh, almost exclusively application and some how-tos in your life. But the reason why these things are in scripture is because God doesn't, he's already got a Bible. He doesn't need you to be a Bible and you to be a Bible and you to be a Bible in the sense that we're just static individuals full of God knowledge. He actually wants us to shine. He actually wants us to love. He actually wants us to grow. He wants us to sacrifice. He wants us to touch the lives of others. And typically we need a little uh, spurring on to do that. And that's what the book of Philippians helps us do. So there's a very important phrase in the passage that I just read to you, and we're going to cover it uh, here in verse number 12. But have you ever wondered what Paul meant by that phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are y'all here? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to assume three of you have wondered, what does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? 
Um, some people just blow right past it and they're like, yeah, whatever. And, and other people get obsessed with it and get fearful with it and get off course because of the intensity of that. So we're going to cover that tonight. But first of all, let's, let's just start at the beginning of verse number 12. And we're going to see what it looks like in the church, in the body of Christ, to cooperate with those that lead you. Remember, Paul's the apostle. He's the leader. He's writing a group of believers in the, in the area of Philippi. It's a, a very a cosmopolitan city. It's, it's a Roman uh, area, and so it's full of all the Roman virtues and all the Roman vices. And so he's writing these Christians, and he starts out by, by checking them a little bit because he's going to correct them, and he, he talks about honoring spiritual authority. He says, my beloved... So he's wise. He's, he's about to come in with a slight dig at him, but he says, I want you to know I love you. You're my beloved. As you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. He wants them to continue on in an obedient fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul used to be among them. You got to remember who these original group of believers were in the church of Philippi. They were a strange group to start a church with. So you had a businesswoman named Lydia who was likely very influential and very affluent. She, matter of fact, she hosted the church in her home. And then you had the Philippian jailer. And if you've ever been to jail, you know that the guy that runs the jail, especially in the ancient empire, is not a sweet, nice, tidy guy. He would have been a really rough dude. But he got wrecked because when, after he beat the tar out of Paul, he, he, Paul is praising and singing in the jail, and God just sends an earthquake. And so the Philippian jailer, this big guy, gets overpowered by the presence and the power of God, and he, he freaks out. He's going to kill himself, and Paul rescues him, leads him to Jesus, and this guy becomes a Christian. So you got Lydia, the businesswoman. You got the, the guy who beats the prisoners who just got saved. And then uh, the icing on the cake is you got a little demon-possessed teenage girl that Paul set her free from demons. So that's your first day in church. And that, but isn't that awesome? I mean, it actually encourages me. That the, the Lord, when he wants to start a great work, you know, I mean, he, he, can, he can use anybody. And so there they are, but they constituted the first believers that we know of in the, in the church of Philippi. But, but even with all of that, Paul spent time investing in them, and he taught them about following the Lord. He taught them about obeying the, the gospel. He taught them about how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so while he was with them, they would obey. They would not only obey Paul's instruction, but they would, more importantly, I think this is what Paul's talking about, they, they had hearts that longed to obey the Lord. But y'all know how it is. Sometimes when the human leader has to be moved because he or she has a new assignment from God, um, there can be this thing where people kind of fizzle out. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying this. He says, I want you to honor me, but more importantly, I want you to honor the Lord. And whether I, Paul, am watching or not watching, whether I'm there with you or I'm not there with you, I want you to go on and obey the Lord in everything. You know, there are sweeping moves in the church right now in America that are, are, are insidious and dangerous. And one of those moves is this, that people have been caught up so intensely in the hyper grace movement that says, because Jesus paid for it all, it doesn't really matter what I do. And that's actually, that's actually a growing movement in the church. Now, thankfully, a lot of people are exposing it as heresy because you, you would have to rip out massive chunks of your Bible to come away with the conclusion that God doesn't care how we live. Matter of fact, you'd have to rip this chapter out. And so when we're looking at this, Paul is, Paul is saying this, hey, be the same kind of Christian 
when everybody's watching or your spiritual leaders are there, be, be that kind of Christian when nobody's watching or your spiritual leaders aren't anywhere around. Now, why could he say something like that? Well, because we're living our lives before an omniscient God. We're living our lives unto the Lord. Well, I'm constantly aware that, that the Lord is, and it's not like he's up there with a checklist. You know, every time I get out of line, he's, there goes Jeff again. That's not what I want us to live with. I, I want to I know this. Hey, my Papa, my Abba Father, my God is watching me. Here's a chance to bring pleasure to his heart. And, and obedience is, is the way to do that. So if, if, if the word obedience has negative connotations with you, you haven't understood gospel obedience yet. Because it's not obedience of like, like a slave obeys a tyrannical master. It's not that kind of obedience. It's the kind of obedience that a doting son or daughter has because they know their, their father is awesome and they want to bring pleasure to his heart. But, but go a little bit further. Because as Paul is saying this, this is the part, I, I, I think we'll get past this tonight. There's been a couple of messages where we haven't gotten out of two verses, but I think we will not. Here's the other thing. When we're talking about cooperating with those who lead us, and everybody has somebody in their life that influences and, and, and serves in a place of authority. We all have that. But, but we can't ride on their coattails. We have to take initiative for our own soul. So at the, end, at the end of verse 12, Paul says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Those are not words that make me feel like I'm reading a Hallmark card. That, that is like, that's kind of intense. And I don't want to dilute it. Because it is as intense as it reads. My job is not to make it cut it up in small, tiny little bites so you can, you can eat it and lose the meatiness of it. We have to actually let the Bible say what it says. So what is it saying? Well, first of all, it's saying this. Um, as, as God works in us, which we'll talk about next, we need to remember that we are called to work out what he has worked in. And so if you are a Christian, that means the eternal God of all the ages resides within the tabernacle of your body all the time. You house God. That's not heretical. That's not flippant. It is Bible. You are the tabernacle of God. The spirit of God Almighty dwells within you. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells inside of every born-again believer. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter number one lives inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that descended in Acts chapter two with tongues of fire and rushing wind, that's the same Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And so when, when, we, when we are thinking about this, we need to recognize I'm housing God within me. And so that, that can do a, a hundred different things, but the emphasis here is this. If he has worked it in, he wants you to cooperate with him in working it out. What does that mean? It means living out the reality of who is living within you. And it requires our cooperation, our participation, our submission, our faith. But I like what he says because he says, hey, Jeff, you work out your salvation. Have you ever... Uh, let, me, let me just, instead of making it a question, I'm going to make it a statement. You've seen those people that are always wanting to work on your salvation, right? You ever go to church with any of those? 
They're, they're trying to work on you. And, and they are preoccupied with where you are and what you're doing and what you're not doing and how you're growing or how you're not growing. And, and that kind of critical spirit. And they're always kind of watching what's going on. And it seems like that they're, you know, the self-appointed defenders of the faith. And they, 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 they just operate with an intensity on others that they fail to apply to themselves. I'm going to tell you, there's not a person in this room that is harder on me than me. And you know why? Because I'm working out my own salvation. I can help you with yours. I promise you, if, 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 if we had opportunity, we could help each other with our walks. But I am not primarily called to work on you. You're called to work on you. And so what happens is, is when I, I experience a humbling from God, and I become aware that the, the holy God of all the ages lives in me, that immediately humbles me because I wake up every day and I say, I don't think I'm quite rising to the level of expectation. I, I actually think more should be coming off of my life than what is. So instead of me trying to point out what's wrong with everybody else, this is what I do. I say, I, I need to grow in this area to work out my own salvation. And notice the qualifier on it. When we do it, do it with fear and trembling. Man, that is a groove buster right there. I mean, I, I wish it said, work out your own salvation with shouts of joy and dancing. Come on. That's my lane right there, you know. Work out your own salvation with carefree ease and comfort. That's not what he says. The word of God says that you and I are to intentionally focus upon, strategize, commit to, and faithfully execute a life of working outwardly all the treasure that has been placed in us inwardly. And, and then Paul says, and do it with some fear and some trembling. Um, the two Greek words are phobos and tronos, tromos. Um, I like those words today when I was looking at it, I was just doing a little Greek study and I was like, phobos and tromos. And all of a sudden, and I realized it's translated fear and trembling. I thought that'd be two awesome names for like twin Doberman pinchers. <laughs> if you're on social media, go look at my Instagram page. I think I put it on Instagram or Transforming Truth or something. But I got these two crazy looking Dobermans racing and underneath their names are Phobos and, and, and Tromos. It just sounds cool. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but the, the point being is this. Um, let, let, let's just get honest. Since, since we were getting honest earlier, let's just stay in that, in that vein for a moment. Um, I, don't, I don't personally feel like the church today as a whole approaches Christ, our relationship with him, the kingdom, the great commission, the word of God, our own souls, I don't feel like we really execute well on fear and trembling. I, I just don't. I, I, I don't want to be the critical guy. I don't want to work on everybody else's salvation, but in a role of teaching and preaching, I just want to address that. And so if I can make that observation about the church in America especially, I feel like we're consumer Christians, and we're just looking for, for a place to connect to that, that meets our need, our felt need. And so we treat it like, I don't want to go see that movie because I don't like that movie. That's not entertaining. That's not, I don't want to go to that restaurant because they got 19 things on the menu and I don't like any of them. I don't want to go here. And, and I think that that kind of thing has kind of hit the church to where 
we, we literally are trying to find a place that suits us. Now, here's, here's the biggie. Most of your Christianity is not in a church building. And so the fear and trembling doesn't really have much to do with Sunday. I think it has something to do with Sunday. But fear and trembling is Monday through Saturday too. And so it, it deals with a lot of different things. Listen, it deals with our behavior. Because remember, he, he's actually saying, hey, I'm talking to you about obeying the Lord. And as you obey the Lord, I want you to work out that great treasure of salvation. Work it out. And as you do, remember who put it in you. And there ought to be a little tremble. And so I don't know what that looks like in your life and mine. But I do know that there are a couple of things. I, I, I think that we can't be casual Christians. I think that's an oxymoron. I don't believe in casual Christianity. Uh, carrying a cross is not casual. Uh, mortifying the deeds of the flesh is not casual. Uh, enduring until the end is not casual. Sacrifice is not casual. Preferring others above yourself is not casual. Doing all things as unto the Lord, not unto men, is not casual. And we don't saunter through the Christian life. Paul said, I buffet my body daily. It's talking about dying to the world and dying to the flesh and going to combat against demons and the devil. And, and I just don't think that, that we're all the time getting that. And I, I, I know when I read this, I'm deeply convicted. It doesn't mean I'm a terrible Christian and God's mad at me. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, there is a high and holy calling on every one of our lives. And that means that, that we actually never arrive to the place where we don't have to fear and tremble anymore. It's more than just a reverence for God. I remember having this explained to me early on. It's like, well, the fear of God is just being in awe of God. It's just being in awe of him. And it was always like the, who's the dude, the, the white guy with the afro that paints? And he's like, yeah, little, uh, yeah, Bob Ross. It, it was always kind of like that. It was always the awe of God, little birdies, little birds, little happy little trees and stuff like that. And the word is phobos, phobos, really. And, and do you know what word comes from phobos? Phobia. Now, nobody, God does not want anybody hiding from him and phobic fear of him. So those are the extremes. Some people just say it's awe of God. Some people say, no, Ron, God's coming. And it's, it's neither one of those extremes. The reality is, is I, I think that um, we must honor reverence and stay in awe of him and his glorious goodness. He's good. I mean, he's really, really good. But at the same time, we need to remember that he doesn't play around. You, if Listen, I mean, a good parent, a good human parent, when a child is perpetually disrespectful, irreverent, or disobedient, you know, we want to make sure defects ain't watching, but I used to get paddled, man. Why? And, and by the way, it didn't happen a lot. You know why? Because when it happened early, there was a fear of dad. And so what it meant was this, is as, as long as I'm in fellowship and union with, with dad, I don't have to be afraid of him. But when an opportunity to disobey comes my way, you pause and you think, and then you say, there's a little fear of trembling. Fear and trembling on that, I think I'll say no to that. The other, the other part of it would be the positive aspect in, in taking initiative with your own soul. You work out your salvation. I'm going to free you up right here. If you struggle with a critical spirit, 
if, if you're constantly battling the fact that other Christians are less on the, the chart than you in this area or this area or this area, I'm going to free you up right here. God has not called a single Christian to walk around as the measuring stick by which all other Christians are measured. And it is such a relief. And for those of you that are new around here, I, I came, I was delivered by God. After my salvation, I was delivered by God from a legalistic spirit. It got me first. It got me early. That's who, who I was kind of groomed around was just legalists that were constantly checking people out and don't, they're doing this, they're going here, they can't do that. You're, how well, you got up at five to pray, I got up at four to pray. You went to church four times last week, five times right here. And it was that kind of jockeying for position kind of junk. And, and you always had to outdo the other person. And, and in that kind of environment, it's because it makes you feel awesome about yourself as long as there are people beneath you. And, you know, all, that's a lot of energy, by the way. Watching other people, measuring other people, compare that's a lot of time and a lot of energy. And I think the, the reasonable counsel of Scripture is, why don't you take all of that time and that energy and you start working out your salvation and let them go free? And so when Paul is talking about this, this is very practical. Take initiative with your own soul. Time's short. Uh, we're not further away from the second coming. We're closer every single day. Every single Christian is going to stand before the Lord, and the Bible goes to very specific wording. It says, to give an account of himself or herself. That means I'm only going to give an account for me. So why am I working on you? Why am I checking you out? Why, why, am I, why am I trying to control you? Because I'm quite sure nobody in here has ever run into a controlling, critical Christian before. Are y'all with me on this? You, you get what I'm saying on it? All right, so let's, let's, let's go on a little bit further because we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Sounds like a song. I don't know. So as we cooperate with those that lead, lead us, one, we honor those in spiritual authority and we honor the Lord by honoring them. We take initiative with our own soul. And then verse 13 talks about partnering with God for his purposes. This is helpful because we are just told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Oh no, I don't know how to do that. Well, don't panic because verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is so helpful because if you're a new Christian and you read Philippians 4.12 and you're like, Man, I don't, I don't know how to work out my own salvation. I'm brand new at this, or I just got delivered. I just got saved. I'm trying to figure stuff out. Oh, no, uh, I'm fearing and I'm trembling, but does that mean I'm in trouble with God all the time? No, 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 time out. Hold on. That's not the way he operates. He doesn't just bark out an assignment to you. He doesn't just scream at you, do better, you're not enough. That's the devil. That's always the devil, man. That is never the father. He, that's not the way he operates. What God does is, is God says, Hey, don't forget, I'm actually in you. The Bible says here that we're working it out, but, but here's the beauty of it. It's a partnership with God. It doesn't, it, it, listen, I, I promise you, he does the heavy lifting. He, he wants you to participate with him in your life. Don't get so convinced of the sovereignty of God that, you know, you're just sitting on a hillside somewhere eating birdseed and strumming a guitar and just waiting on God to live your life for you. That's not the way it works. You have to partner with him. But this is what the scripture says. He works in you for what purposes? It says it right there. 
to will and to work for his good pleasure. What does that mean? Because that's not quite the way we talk these days. God is working in you to cultivate the want to. God is giving you the desires of your heart. Do you know what that means? When the Bible says that, that, that when we, when we lean on, don't lean under our understanding, we seek the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. That doesn't mean he gives us what our heart desires. What that means is he gives you the desires. And so let me just say, if you're in a, a season of life and you're loving the Lord and you're wanting more of the Lord and you're, you're, you're wanting to learn the word of God and you're wanting to be a better Christian, you're wanting to, to learn how to grow and stretch, let me just tell you, you didn't come up with that on your own. That's not you. you say, Jeff, I'm offended. Well, that's okay because that is you. That offense is you. Why? Well, you say, well, you got any Bible on that? Yeah, Paul said this, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And so the reality is, is when I want holiness, it's not because I'm super Christian, it's because God is working in me to want to do the things that bring him good pleasure. And so it's awesome. So when I feel an impulse towards something Godward, I know it's him and I want to get in on it. And so if, now here, here's the flip side of that. If I am constantly wanting things, like, if, like the majority of my life is, I don't want holiness. I don't want obedience. I don't want faith. I don't want love. I don't want gentleness. I don't want goodness. I don't want sacrifice. I don't want to serve. That is you. And that's me apart from the grace of God. But when we come into union with Jesus, there becomes this thing called, it's koinonia. It's fellowship with the Lord. It's a partnership. And so what he's doing is he's transforming your desires. Now listen, we're not glorified yet, so we're going to occasionally battle with desires that are not of God. But the reality of the other part of it is that he not only gives you the desires, but he gives you the ability to work it out. It's to will and to do, to will and to work. So when he gives you the will, he also gives you the power to accomplish it. And so what we do is we learn, because we were trained before our conversion, we were trained according to the impulses of our flesh. Our flesh drove our desires, and then we cooperated with those desires and didn't have any problem with it. You ever seen like little three and four-year-olds just knock each other on the head with a toy? I mean, do you know what that is? That's, that's you apart from the grace of God. And you're in your 40s maybe, and that's, that's literally your nature apart from the grace of God. Some of y'all don't believe that. In the name of Jesus, humble them, Lord, because you've got to recognize that about yourself. You've got to recognize that, that when your flesh has trained you all those years, especially if you were saved late in life, God begins to come in and he starts retraining you. It's like he takes what was molded out of the clay originally, he crushes it, he starts putting it back together, that's salvation, and then he starts molding it. And that's, that's uh, sanctification and transformation. And so when we're, we're looking at this, I, I think all of us need a greater awareness, even a spirit of wisdom and revelation on this, that you're not trying to drum up holy stuff for God to just kind of put it out before him. I got to come up with something holy. I got I to gotta do something religious. I got I to gotta try something new. You know what we've got to do? We've got to experience greater intimacy with him quietness with him, abiding with him, and yes, 
pursuing him, hungering and thirsting after him. Because every good thing in the Christian life, every, anything that brings fruit, comes from that place of abiding in the Lord. And that never happens on accident. Do you know why the devil fights you with your time? Do you know why he always wants to keep you distracted and busy? He does not want you to slow down. He does not want you to, to meditate on the things of God. He does not want you in the word. Because he knows he is ruined in your life if you ever abide in intimacy with the Lord. He knows it's game over. So what does he do? He wants to keep you running on a treadmill even a nice shiny treadmill, even a treadmill that brings other good benefits. He wants you on that thing so that you never get in that place where God starts cultivating in you the will to do his good pleasure. And so I'm, I'm going to encourage you just pastorally here for a moment. Um, fight really hard for personal and private time with the Lord. Um, I, I was in Kansas City uh, last week and a few days in the week before. And so I went up there to, to kind of take a, a course or a class, and it was fabulous material, but it's stuff that, that we've, we know down here. We, we already do it. And so I, I got to the place where I was like, I can either sit in this class and just enjoy the people and enjoy, but there's a prayer room like 100 yards away, and I can just go into that place and be in the presence of the Lord where nobody knows my name, nobody needs anything. And so I got in that prayer room, and I promise you, by God's grace, I probably was in there at least 60 hours of reading, writing, listening, and I got, I got hit so hard by the Holy Spirit. I don't remember what day it was, maybe a week ago today. And I'm, I'm just realizing I'm not doing anything. I'm not trying to, to do something for God here. He's doing something to me. And do you know what, where, how it came? By me sitting there and waiting. By just tuning out everything. I didn't do the old pastoral song and dance. Da, 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 hey, look at me, Lord. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just sat there, and, and as I sat there, I started being impacted by the Holy Spirit to the point of embarrassment. I wasn't flopping on the floor or anything like that. I, I don't mind that if that happens, but that's not what I was doing. I just started crying and weeping as God was just taking me back through his goodness in my life. And you, I, I can't get that on the run. I can't get that with the radio blaring, you know, in conversation with friends or family. And, and listen, you're the same. You've, you've, got, you've got to get with him. And I, I know it's, it's very awkward for a lot of Christians because we hate silence. We hate quiet. God help us if the next big revival is a revival of silence. We, we want revival, Lord. Okay, children, for the next 12 months, the revival is about silence and stillness, 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 stillness. And you know what we do? We revolt. It could be a heaven-sent revival of quietness and stillness with no manifestations. It could come from God, and we'd be over there twitching, man. We'd be like, give me something. Why? Because we don't like stillness and we don't like quiet. But when God works in us, he's working in us to want what he wants. And when we come into alignment with what he wants, he says, now I'm going to work in you to accomplish it. I'm going to work in you to will 
and do of my good pleasure. And so there's hope there. Um, let's, let's see if we can bust out a couple more verses here because I really want to do this next part. So when we've come to that place where we're cooperating with the one that leads us, not only human leaders, but more importantly, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, um, this is where it starts talking about some things that we, we just got to do. Um, I, I'm, I think I've got a decent mind, but you could ask Amy. I'm, I'm not good at subtleties. I, you know, ladies, how y'all like to drop subtleties with your fella? He doesn't get it. You have to drop nine subtle hints, and he still doesn't get it, and you're mad at him because he should have known it. Um, sometimes the Bible is just so straightforward because it knows there are people like me reading it that just need to be told what to do sometimes. Right, Lord, thank you for not hinting. Just tell me what to do. So the next few things I'm going to share with you are non-negotiable things that God's telling you to do. You ready? <laughs> Can we go back to the stillness and silence and you be the first to be silent, Jeff? Okay. So Holy Spirit will help us with our speech. Let's get convicted together. Here we go. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling <laughs> or disputing. I'm just going to cut it off there. That's verse 14. I, I want it to say, do most things without grumbling or disputing. Do the easy things without grumbling or disputing. That's not what it says. Now remember, what's it in the context of? It's not a standalone thing. It's not just a standalone phrase. It's in the context of God working in you and working through you. It's in the context of us obeying the Lord. And the first thing Paul tells the church at Philippi to do, which we received also, is Paul's saying to a group of believers, everything you do, stop complaining and stop bickering. John MacArthur helped me with this because he's amazing with Greek studies and he condenses them down and you can just understand. The, the first word there, the grumblings. Do y'all remember in, in school learning about onomatopoeia? You remember that? I can barely say it, but I kind of remember it. And it's, it's a word that is derived from a sound like um, buzz. What, what, is, what sound does a bee make? That's onomatopoeia, I think. God help me. It's stuff like that. Um, this is an onomatopoeic word translated grumbling. The Greek word is It sounds like us. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, hey, it's, it's tax time. Got a flat tire. Paul uses that word. And it literally is an emotionally driven complaint. It happens when hardship, conflict, disappointment, difficulty finds our lives and we want a good, good zoo all over each other. That's what he, and he's saying, don't do that. Um, it's, it's an emotional thing. Listen, I, if there's an area in my life that I've got to work on, it's this area. What's sad is, I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing great until I study verses like this. I'm like, please, Holy Spirit, leave me alone about this. And he just won't do it. 
And he's going to connect it to our, te- our, our testimonies here in a minute. But he says, do everything that you're doing without a, an emotional knee-jerk reaction to complain about it. And guys, I mean, raise, come on, let's just, let's be honest. Raise your hand if you need to grow in this area. Thank you, Lord, because I'm just like, please don't let this just be me. I'm serious. I'm like, my goodness. And you know what happens? Where it started hitting me is about five years ago when I saw it in my kids. I'm like, man, they learned that from Amy. She needs to really. She's the least complaining person I know. She never complains, and she's probably got more reason than most of us to do so. And she never did. My kids got that from me. And um, ultimately, when you and I complain, what we are in essence saying, let me tell you the theological underbelly of it, we're saying, we don't like what you're doing, God. We don't like what you're allowing. We don't like what you're doing to stretch it. We don't like this. That's what we're doing every time we complain. So we're told to stop. We're, we're, there, it's, it's not clever. It's not tricky. I don't know how the Holy Spirit talks to you, but this is the way he talks to me. Hey, Jeff, knock it off. Stop complaining. <laughs> I'm going to out you, Art. So Art trains Landon in basketball, and i got to be careful because this stuff goes on TV. So Landon's basketball coach coached differently than I would have coached and they had not won a game and I'm over on the sidelines thinking coach needs to do this coach needs to do this and so what happened is after about six weeks of this you know Art's listening to me go off about it and I'm not only his friend you know he's got to listen to me preach and stuff like that and he gets me at the beginning of one game I don't know if you remember this it's a game where I fell on the bleachers and uh, he says hey, I think tonight we're not going to complain about the coach at all. (laughs) Do you know how hard that was? Because he wasn't better that night. It was badly coached. And I'm over there. So when the Holy Spirit can't get my attention, he just sends art to get my attention. And uh, thankfully the season ended and I'm no longer tested on that. But let me tell you, some of you are getting a little bit of a free pass on the grumbling, but I'm going to get you on disputing. Emotional responses negatively are attached to the word grumbling. Intellectual responses is attached to disputing. It's when we know better and we are slicing and dicing people because we know better. So we hear somebody at grade level C bring up a subject, and we, they're wrong. They're, they don't know what they're talking about. And so we saunter on it. Hey, what y'all talking about? You talking about that? You step back, you look at the body parts, you're like, yeah, I took care of business on that. Now, that's a little dramatic, but let me tell you, some people live to slice and dice and dispute and divide and, and, and just... Whereas grumbling is intellectual, Disputing is you come in there, excuse me, or grumbling is emotional. Disputing, you come in there intellectually and you're just, you're entering into the engagement of debate for the purpose of coming out as the winner. And the Bible says, stop it. <laughs> 
Now, the hard part is, is, is there ever a time to disagree? Yes. Is there ever an appropriate manner in which to disagree? Yes. Do we need to sometimes debate? Yes, in the sense of coming to the best, um, the m- most honorable conclusion. Yes, we need to do that. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about living in that, that kind of that vein where in any negative situation, you've always got the best answer and you're not giving it in order to help the situation. You're giving it to shut other people down. Convicted? I'm convicted. But the Holy Spirit will help us with that. That's, that's the whole thing. Working out your salvation is connected to Paul's first thing. And, and, I mean, it's like he goes for the, the most easy evidence of whether or not you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does he do? He says, let's, let's see what comes out of your mouth. Because Jesus taught us that whatever's going on in our heart eventually comes up and out of our mouth. And so if we've got a grumbling heart, we're going to have grumbling speech. If we've got a, a, a slice and dice kind of intellect where we're just going to chop people down, it's, it's, when those words come out, it's because we're not working out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know what will stop us from, from trying to cut, cut and dispute and divide? What if God gets in a debate with you? Who's going to win that one? What if God operated with us like that? And he doesn't. He, just, just in case you don't, he's smarter than you. He, he, he actually has a better grasp of what's going on than you. And yet, do you remember, how, do, you, do you recognize how tender he is with us when we're, you ever look back on a season in your life and just say, man, I was way off. I, I was not thinking rightly. I wasn't acting like, and God, you were so merciful unto me. You didn't slice and dice me. You didn't, you didn't go good zoo all over me because of how pitiful I was. You, you, you actually showed me tenderness and grace and mercy, and you helped me. And so it's the heart thing there. And so um, I'm going I'm to do the beginning of verse number 15, and then we're, we're going to be done. So the Holy Spirit will help us with our speech. The Father will help us with what I call family resemblance. Notice what he says. Verse 15 beginning is, or yeah, verse 14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may, verse 15, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Ultimately, the reason why we are given these behavioral commands, live this way, don't live this way, that's in the Bible. It's in New Testament. That's not all law. It's not law when somebody gives you, when when the Scripture gives you a command to obey in the New Testament. That's not being legalistic. It's God's Word. But the context is this. It helps me to have context. God's not just saying, hey, behave. He's saying, hey, I want you to be like me. I want my nature to be seen through your life. I want you to be a child of God without blemish. The word there that speaks of of blemish and it's also uh, talks about being blameless and innocent and then without blemish. They're words that that they, they seize upon outward blemishes. God's not, God's word is not saying here, I expect you to be perfect. That's not what we're being taught in verse number 15. It is saying this, don't walk around with such an obvious blemish on the outside that you're not addressing. And and so the Lord actually expects us to look in the spiritual mirror and say, ooh, 
that thing actually doesn't fit who I am. I, I need to remedy that. I need to deal with that thing. And when we do so, we, we are blameless and innocent, and we are seen as the children of God by whom? The end of verse 15. So the Father helps us with our family resemblance. The Holy Spirit helps us with our mouth. And Jesus will help us illuminate the world we're living in. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the point. So, so what, what are we looking at again? It's just a practical reminder from the Apostle Paul, who's also functioning as a pastor, that, that the way we live as Jesus followers is to serve like a light to a culture that is living in spiritual blackout. I mean, listen, United States of America, 21st century, this is spiritual blackout. I mean, it's, it's, it is as dark as it seems, and it's probably darker than we're comfortable admitting. It's just not boys behaving badly. It, it's, it's demonic, it's satanic, and I will say that there, there seems to be, I've only been around 48 years, so that's my, my context, but there seems to be a growing ease by which people are, are embracing things that are absolutely in opposition to the heart of God. And so that stuff is just like ramping up like in, in intensity. And so Jesus, the word of God here is saying that, that I want you to shine. I want your life not to be a part of the blackout, but against the blackout, I want them to see you shine as one of the children of the Father. And so listen, sin is the dimmer switch. That, 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 that dims the church. And when we aren't living, whether it's sins of speech, whether it's grumbling or complaining or divisive speech, whether it's living in disobedience and, and operating by the, the principle of when nobody's looking, I'm going to be this type of person. When people are watching, I'll do my church thing. The reality is, is, is God's saying, hey, I, I love you and you're my daughter and you're my son. And I don't want you to live tolerating spiritual blemishes on you that, that we can take care of as you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as I work in you to want to do my pleasure and to actually accomplish doing my pleasure. I, I want in on this with you. I, I'm going to work through you. And the end result will be that, that you're going to shine. It's, it's, it's probably Paul referring to Daniel chapter 12, where believers are spoken of as stars against the black backdrop of the night sky. And, and so we're to be that. And, and we can. And, and, and the crooked and, and twisted generation, friends, that's now. Is it, is it kind of like a downer to recognize this stuff? Because, I mean, I, I hope we're not confused about that. Like, we're, things aren't getting better in the culture. But if you and I will be the people that God has empowered us to be, Jesus will shine through us, not with some superficial neon light, but with the power of the Holy Ghost radiating through us in ways that make us distinguishable from our culture. That's why God is calling us to these spiritual workouts. That's why he's saying, what I've put in you, 
I want to come out of you. And I'll tell you this, and I'm done. There really isn't any deeper pleasure and satisfaction for the Christian than to know that she or he is in the place where God has them and is moving through them. There, there really isn't because wherever you go, your light shines. And, and when people that are living in darkness see light, they get curious. They're like, what's that all about? And that's our opportunity to say, oh, you know what? I do shine with light, but it's, it's not my own. It's reflected light. Somebody's shining in me, right? Let's stand together. Almost got done. Oh, I'm just going to pray over one part of the message. It's the part we all need help with. Tomorrow, Lord, even tonight, we'd rather be silent than complaining. Forgive me. Forgive us. You've built our tongues and our vocal cords for praise and intercession. Holy Spirit, help us, please. Convict us. Reveal to us how easy it is for us to complain and don't let us get away with it anymore. Thank you for friends that hold us accountable. God, help us to hold each other accountable without trying to be inspectors of one another. But God, we need help with that. I want, Lord, let, let this be a people whose tongues are consecrated. And Lord, that when we bring consecrated tongues together for praise and prayer and witness, that there's new power brighter light coming forth from us. In Jesus' name, amen.